Ruth chapter 4. Uh, this, uh, this, this concludes our series on the book of Ruth. I've enjoyed it uh, quite a bit. I hope that you have as well. We had a great, great number last week and a good number this, this week. Uh, I think last week we had 39, was most we've ever had. Uh, and some of those were visiting from other classes that weren't able to meet, and that's okay. That's wonderful. Uh, but we're going to... I did some review last week that I probably was going to do this week, so we, we may be a little bit redundant starting out this week. But I'm going to kind of move to the end, and I want to talk about the the unwilling redeemer before we go much further. When we started the series, we talked about the characters, and we mentioned this guy, but I want to go a little bit further with it. And we'll see him uh, at the end of the chapter, or towards the end of the chapter. And I really struggled with this. I thought a lot about who, because everybody kind of, re Boaz represents Christ in, in the, uh, in the uh, allegory. Ruth represents the uh, person who comes to belief. Naomi represents a backslidden Christian that comes back and repents. And, and so I, I thought, who is this unwilling redeemer? Who, th there's no substitute for Christ. There's no other redeemer in, in, in the story of, or in the, uh, the gospel. And so I thought, who, who really does this represent? And I prayed about it and asked the Lord. And, and I think that the unwilling redeemer doesn't represent any one person or character, if you will. It seems to me that, it, and that may be why scripture doesn't name him, give him a name or even a place in the family tree or the heritage, I think he represents many people, positions, pleasures, anything that's willing to consume us, any substitute for Christ. I think that's who the unwilling redeemer represents. If we take a look at him, he, he's of the people of Judah near or in Bethlehem. Uh, the way scripture refers to him, the literal, literally the way the Hebrew spells him out without naming him is kind of like saying, oh, what's his name? It, it, just, it doesn't refer to him at all. And I don't think that's disrespect for the, the person individually, but I think within the allegory, that's what it's, it's bringing out. That he's, he becomes unimportant very quickly. He's, he's all for adding property to his portfolio, but when it comes time to sacrifice, he's unwilling. And I think he's, he's just a poor substitute for what's really needed, and that is a redeemer. And so anything that's willing to consume us, uh, but un unable to provide or protect us in the spiritual sense, it's only Christ that can do that. And so when we get to the part of the unwilling redeemer, and we will, I, in my mind, that's what the allegory represents. I think that's why he's in here. It's why he's mentioned. He has a very small part. You could almost leave him out. You could, if you were going to leave somebody out of the story, that would be the character to leave out because it wouldn't change anything. And so that's, as I've studied and as I prayed and read, that's, that's what I came up with. Now, well, we talked about Ruth last week and uh, how she's referred to as the Moabitess, um, but that reminds us where she came from, who she is. That, and again, I'll say it again, the most important verse in my estimation is that when she tells, Ruth, or tells Naomi, I choose your God. I, I, your God will be my God. 
that's the point of, of, of repentance for her and that turning to uh, Yahweh, turning to uh, away from the God of the Moabites, away from the people of the Moab, everything, and she's turning to God. She's making that choice with an uncertain f- future. She doesn't know what it's going to cost her. But she knows that it, it's worth everything she's got. And, and that's where you really have to get to. That, that's the point of repentance. You see no other option, no other hope for redemption, and you turn to Christ. And that's, that's what this story illustrates. Boaz, of course, the kinsman redeemer, he's a worthy deliverer. Uh, his lineage qualifies him. His, his abilities, his wealth, his possessions qualify him. Uh, the Levitical law, legally, he's qualified. And most importantly, he's willing to be the redeemer. So when we left Ruth uh, last week, she had approached Boaz. She went to the threshing floor and she had sought him out as a kinsman redeemer. Boaz was gracious. He was excited. He lifted her up. He was, he was excited that she had chosen him. He, he wanted to be her redeemer. But he, he quickly pointed out to her and, and said, you know, basically in our vernacular, we're not going to, we're not going to take a shortcut. Ruth. We're not going to try, try to get around God's law or God's ways. We're going to do this the right way. And there's one who is closer than I. Now, note how he said that. He didn't say more worthy. He didn't say, he didn't say anything other than his position was close. And this is that unwilling redeemer. He said, so we have, to, we have to deal with this, Ruth. We have to deal with this first. And so uh, he tells her to go back to Naomi and be and, and don't let anybody know that you've come. That's not because they were doing anything wrong or it wasn't out of the way or anything like that. Um, but I want you to go back, Ruth. I don't want you to really speak about this to anyone outside of your home, and I'm going to take care of things. And Naomi basically gives her the same advice. She says, sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter of this day. In other words, Ruth, relax. Uh, Boaz is going to take care of this, and he's not going to put it off. He's going to get busy about this today. Trust me. She can see what's going on. She sees this romance blossoming between Boaz and Ruth. He, he sees the gifts that she brings back. She, she recognizes the, the extra care that Boaz and the extra protection that he put around her. Uh, the words, the things that he said, she understood that Boaz was very interested in Ruth. And so she says, don't worry about this, Boaz. He's going to take care of this, and he's going to do it today, Ruth. Uh, and, and we kind of made the joke last week. We, we knew there was going to be a wedding. We just didn't know who the groom was going to be yet. So Boaz has to deal with this issue, and that's where we find them. And I love that what Boaz had, what he told her in the, the latter part of the third chapter, it, it was that, it's, the way it read at least in my mind is that movie plays in my head as I read the scripture. When she brings this up, there's no hesitation. Boaz knows immediately that there's somebody closer. Why do you think that is? Yeah, he's been thinking about this, hadn't he? He's interested. He's interested in Ruth. And he's, he, he's thought about this obstacle, this, this, redeem, this other redeemer who is in line and closer than he. And he's thinking about how, 
how do we get past this guy? I guarantee you that's his thoughts, you know. Uh, not not shortchanging the Levitical law, not going around with God's, God's laws and what he wants. But he says, how, how do we do this? Because I want to marry Ruth. I want her for my own. And so immediately she is, shows interest, you know. He said, okay, but there's one we have to deal with. There's something I've got to do. So Boaz has been planning. Before this day arrives, Boaz has been making plans. He's been thinking about uh, how he can have, win Ruth for his own, how he can um, get uh, satisfy the, the Levitical law and, and take the place of Redeemer. He wants to do this. He has been planning, and I hate to use the word scheming, but probably a little bit of scheming, uh, and think about how he's going to make this come together, make this happen. He's excited about uh, winning Ruth. And I love that picture in the allegory, don't you? Because how does Ruth, again, we talked about it last week, how does Ruth approach Boaz? Respectfully. Respectfully, quietly, tenderly. She doesn't come in throwing the book of Leviticus down, slamming the Torah down and saying, look here, buddy, I got rights and I want them acted upon. You know, it, it's, it's you and me. Let's go. Courthouse. Get in the truck. We're going. No, no, no. She goes quietly and, and she, she lays at his feet like, and that takes the position of a maidservant, refers to herself as a maidservant. And Boaz, when she, when she does that, when she comes humbly like that, how, how does, does Boaz leave her at his feet? No, he lifts her up. He says, oh no, I can't believe you chose me. You could have chosen a younger man, a wealthier man. You could have chosen somebody else and you chose me. He lifts her up. See? And, and there's a picture there too about how we are to pro- approach Christ, but yet his response to us, does he owe us anything? Of course not. We'll talk more about that at the end. But I, I love that picture of how they, how they come to each other and how they treat each other, how they approach each other. And so he tells her, go back to your place, uh, be with Naomi, and I'm going to deal with this matter. So that's what we find them in the opening of chapter 4. And chapter 4, verse 1, uh, and I'll just, I'll just read, well, till I'm, till I'm done reading. I don't know how many verses I'm going to read, so you can join with me if you want. Boaz, uh, or, uh, Book of Ruth, chapter 4. Beginning in verse 1. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the close relative of who Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Come aside, friend. Sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Now here's what's going on. So when it says that he, they, when you see something in the Bible that says they sat at the gate, it doesn't mean they're perched up on the top of the gate. Don't get that idea in your head. This was, this was a main gate of the city, and this would have been like city hall. This is where the business of the city was conducted, where land is purchased, where, where things are uh, taken care of, uh, marriages, all, all this sort of things. And these elders are probably men that are too old to work in the fields, but they're well-established. They probably own and, and possessions things, but they're respected men, and they're men of good testimony, and they're men that can act as witnesses and judges, both. So if there was a dispute, they would oftentimes come before a group of men like this 
each person telling their side, and then the men would would pronounce their evaluation of how this related to the law and what should happen, what should be played out in a civil matter. And so this guy comes along, and, and what did Boaz say to him? Come aside and sit down. Friend. My friend. My buddy. Man, good to see you. Sit down. He, he's smoozing a little bit. He's putting a little butter on the biscuit there, you know. Uh, and, and opening up, and then he, get, he gets ten, ten guys, uh, ten of these elders sitting because he's going to make this proposition about the redeem, the redemption. And so he's setting everything up the way he wants to. Now, part of negotiation is you choose the time, you choose the place, you choose the environment. If you can, this 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 is part of the key. And so Boaz comes prepared. He knows what's going on. This unwilling redeemer, does he have any idea what's going on yet? No, it's like, boom, no time to think about it. He hadn't studied it. He didn't, he didn't look at the property that's involved. None of this. And he's just kind of caught out of the blue. And that's a good uh, bargaining technique. So verse 3, then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back, oh, remind, excuse me, remind me to talk to you later that, I sold a house last year, and I'm wanting y'all to help me get it back, and I need help on the mortgage. So remind me to talk to you about that, okay? Uh-huh. Don't panic, Jeff. It's not that big. Of a... I don't think I can do that, Chris. You can't. You can't help me out. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> we're friends. I'm not. I don't have any money. I know you're working. I know you got a little money. She's got the money. Steph. <laughs> No. All right. Raise your hand if you thought that was a little weird. (laughs) Raise your hand if you think you'll remember that. Okay, we're about to come to a custom in the Bible that doesn't make a lot of sense to us. But understand, I didn't bring a Matt Matt a contract that he could either sign or reject and then file at the courthouse. And these guys didn't either. I think some of these customs were, it's a busy gate. People are going in and out of the city. There's noise. There's distraction. And Boaz is about to present something to the unwilling redeemer in all that noise and that distraction. And he wants to make this solid. And this is not Boaz's ideal. This is the custom of the day. And however they came up with this, and it may have been nothing more than, this takes the guesswork out of it. So if you're going to refuse to be the redeemer... The process was that you took your sandal off and you handed it to the person that, as a sign that you were refusing your right of redemption. And so if you're one of those ten witnesses, does that image then stick in your mind? Was there any question about the wording? No. You know, they might have said something, well, I don't think I can do that. But if they take that sandal off and hand it to you, that's it. That's the signature on the right of refusal. And so when you read stuff like that in the, in the Bible, in 2024 Chattanooga, it sounds really, really weird. But think about the context of the day and the moment and the environment. And I think that's a lot of what goes on that we don't account for. And so these 10 witnesses, you know, five years down the road, assuming at least five of them are still alive because they're old, 
uh, they can say, no, I, I was in the gate that day, and I remember that old, what's his name, took his sandal off and gave it to Boaz. I was there, I saw it. And everybody knew that was the sign of refusal. Does that make sense? That was, that was smart of me, wasn't it? That was good. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. I appreciate the shoe. And I'm glad you had a clean shoe today. Yeah. It could have been worse. So Boaz approaches the guy, and he, and he calls him aside, and he, and, and again, Boaz is a guy, he's been thinking this thing out. He's got it planned out. And he starts in verse 4. Verse, actually, latter part of verse 3. And he says, then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who was back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And so, and, and our relative Elimelech, a, a close relative. And I thought to inform you. In other words, I'm looking out for you, friend. Sit down the gate. I'm really thinking about you. I thought you should know that Naomi has sold this, and you have opportunity here, friend. You, sir, can buy this land back and add this to your portfolio. And I, and I can just almost bet that Ruth and Naomi are sitting somewhere nearby, trying to, they're trying to get an ear in and listen to what's going on. And at first this friend says, wonderful, I'll do it. I'll buy it back, because why wouldn't you? He's gonna, get, he's gonna add land, latter part of verse 4 and he said I will redeem it now what's Boaz done he showed him the reward that yeah what did he leave out the cost right well that that's the cost <laughs> that's the cost verse 5 now Boaz is going to lay this out see and Boaz said and you could almost put in here another, oh, by the way, friend, on the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. So what he really says, is, along with the land, you get both a wife and a mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> Now to Boaz, that sounds awesome because Boaz loves Ruth. To this unwilling guy, he's just interested in the reward. He's not interested in the wife, in the cost of the, He's not interested in splitting his own inheritance up that he's already building for his own children. He, he doesn't want to ruin that. He in fact, that's the reason that he gives in not so many words. As we continue on, uh, in verse 6, And the relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin mine own inheritance. You redeem the right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this is the custom of the former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other. Just as we showed you. And this was the confirmation in Israel. So Boaz sets this up perfectly. He says, hey, there's opportunity. It looks great, but there's also cost. And when the unwilling redeemer, oh, what's his name, sees the cost, the love is not there. 
the connection, the love is not there. And so he turns away. He says, nope, I don't want it. He says, I'm unable. He's really unwilling. I don't want to mess up what I got. I got a good plan in place. I don't want anybody messing with that. I, I give it up. And it cost Boaz, see. Everything was going to cost this guy, it cost Boaz. But Boaz didn't care. Why? Because of his love for Ruth. See? What a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did he get a bargain when he got me? No. Or you? And what did it cost him? Everything. Everything. He paid a great, great price on the cross of Calvary, see? Why? Not for the benefit. Not, not to add my name to the roster. But simply because he loved me. And simply because he loved you. But now let's look at the result of what happens as a, uh, after that. Uh, because the, 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 you could end the story right there and you could throw the celebration and everything be wonderful. Um, and, and, but it, it continues on because there's more. Verse 8, Therefore uh, the close relative said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal. Verse 9, And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, No doubt he's holding the sandal. You are witnesses this day, and I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Mel. I thought it wasn't hard to pronounce her names anymore, and there they are again, from the hand of Naomi. And so, these are the two inherit. These are the two boys that would have inherited Elimelech's land, and so Boaz gets all of that. He gets all of that land as inheritance, in the same way that we would do that. When my father uh, passed away. My mother was already gone. Uh, all that he owned was divided between myself, my sister, and my brother's kids. And so his, his descendants took his place. And, and all of that, that applies here. Verse 10. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of uh, Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among the brethren, and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. So essentially what he says is Ruth is now betrothed to me. And you know that word betrothed. That's, that is like, it's kind of our, our engagement, but it's more solid than that. Legally, she's his wife, even though they've not had the wedding yet, and, and they've not, and they've not uh, consummated or anything like that yet. But legally, if, if Boaz then steps out in the street and an ox cart runs over him and kills him, Ruth is entitled to inheritance right then, at that moment. And that, that's what he's saying. As he holds that sandal, he says, I'm taking Ruth. She is, she is part of me now. She is part of the inheritance. And she is my wife now. Verse 11, All the people at the gate who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. So that's like the stamp on the certificate. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built. And I love, immediately they start pouring blessings upon this. They say, yeah, we're witnesses. And man, we hope that she is blessed with children like Leah and Rachel. Who are Leah and Rachel? Well, that's where all the 12 tribes come from, isn't it? That's all these children that, that they are descended from that started there with Leah and Rachel. That, that family tree began to spread right at that point. 
And later on, we're going to see the women of the, the area uh, wish another blessing on her. Uh, so it, this everybody's excited about this. Oh, what's his name's gone? We don't we don't hear anything else from him again. He he's just out of the way. What he represents temporary distraction, pleasure, maybe even sin. But he's done away with. It doesn't last, does it? It's superficial. It's self-involved. He goes away. And I don't know that maybe the guy was a great guy, but in the allegory, that's who he represents. See, uh, and uh, then they continue on. Verse 12, May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring which the Lord give you from his own. Now I want to stop here for just a moment and talk about who Tamar is. Anybody remember who Tamar is? Yes. <laughs> is that who you want to brag about being in your family tree? Probably not. Tamar had an illegitimate son named Perez from her father-in-law. Because her father-in-law, and the sin was not hers, by the way. The sin was her father-in-law. See, Judah. He wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. He lied and said he would. and then and she, But Perez is born to her, and he's the, uh, the one that all these people are about to descend from, all the people we're going to talk about. And so she, she goes and she gets offspring. But you've got, in our, way, in our social way of thinking, we wouldn't be bragging about that. We'd be a little ashamed of it probably. Who's another person in the lineage of Christ that we talk about sometimes? Rahab. 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 And when the Bible talks about her first, it doesn't just say Rahab. and It doesn't say uh, uh, Rahab of Jericho. It, it says Rahab the... The harlot. She's a prostitute. And she ends up where? In the lineage of Christ. And then from that point on, you don't hear Rahab the harlot. You just hear Rahab. And, and there's others that we could talk about that, that, are, that are in this lineage, uh, in the very lineage of Christ. That, that, I mean, they're not, they don't have great backgrounds and great legacies. I, I mean, there's great sin involved. David himself, guilty of murder, adultery, and yet in this lineage. Folks, and if, if you're here, and I, and I trust everybody's saved here this morning, but if you're here and you're not saved, and you think, well, God, there's, he couldn't save me, I don't ever think that. These people in Scripture are not well, they became saints once they put their trust in Christ, but they're not saints when you, when you read about them. I mean, some horrid, awful things take place. And they're adopted, they're forgiven when they come before her. Ruth is a Moabite. She comes from a land of idolatry and child sacrifice and horrid, awful things, and yet she ends up in the lineage of Christ. Why? Because she said, Ruth or Naomi, your God will be my God. I put my trust in Yahweh. I don't understand the future. I don't know what the future holds, but I know I'm turning from my what I'm doing. And that what a picture of repentance. What a picture of repentance. She doesn't know how it's going to turn out. She doesn't understand that Yahweh is going to bless her. She doesn't know there's such a thing as a kinsman redeemer. All she knows is that what she's in, the Moabite ways, the Moabite gods, the, the, the filth, the child all those things 
are, are horrid to her. And she turns from it. That's repentance, folks. That's a picture of repentance. She, she, she might have been the, the, she might have had the greatest character of any Moabite living. But it didn't matter. She had to turn from that way and go to God's way. It wasn't about her character. It was about her choice and her faith in God. And she comes out of a society of literal child sacrifice, chooses God, and we have the story of Ruth, and she's in the very lineage of Christ. Yeah. I mean, nothing happens without her. I mean, she doesn't make that decision. I mean, David doesn't happen. Yes, exactly. And that's, and, that's, and that's exactly where we're going. Because this Perez that's mentioned, uh, he's a breech birth. He's the one that uh, his brother was coming out, and the midwife ties a cloth on it. And then he goes back in, and Perez forces his way out. <laughs> and and with that, then uh, you have uh, let's see. Uh, there's a line here, and it's given here at the end of the chapter: Hezron, Ram, Abinadab, Nashon, Salmon, Boaz, Obed, Jesse, David. And if you follow that line, the line of David carries on, and where do we end up? The Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Hey, when you're witnessing and somebody tells you they can't be saved or they commit, they don't think God would save, bring these people up. Not only are they saved, I understand it's Old Testament, but they're, they're essentially saved. They put their faith in God and, and, and they are they're in not just redeemed, but they're in the very lineage of Christ. He, God names them in His own family, see? And so as you witness, as you talk to people, as you share those things, never let that get out of your mind. Verse 13, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. And then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may, and may his name be famous in Israel. And so, again, and I'm out of time again, but remember back when Naomi comes back to Bethlehem or Judah and she says, don't call me Naomi. Her life had been terrible. Her, her husband had died. Her sons had died. She, she had come back to, to nothingness. And she comes back and she says, don't call me Naomi. Call me bitter because I, I, my life is bitter. There's nothing good right now. And she goes from that to this. So we have the picture too of the, the Christian who wanders and yet comes back. And she and and the women bring this blessing and say, May this child, may this offspring be famous in Israel. And sure enough, he is. Obed becomes famous because he's in the, the, the direct line of David and then the direct line of Christ. So looking back. The story of Ruth began with some of God's people straying from God's will. And they're content for a moment. Sin's okay for a moment. But then it takes effect. And we go from bad to worse. They thought things were bad and they strayed from God's will and things got worse. Much, much worse. That's always the pattern. 
Then Naomi returns to God. And Ruth repents to God. She turns from her ways to God's way. And then Ruth just simply begins to follow the law of God. She, she begins to follow the, the, the simple will of God. And then God steps in and begins to move supernaturally to line all these things up. And Boaz, God's redeemer, steps in and pays the price for Ruth. Then we hear nothing about, oh, what's his name? He's done with, he's temporary. And God begins to bless the actions of Boaz. And God adopts Ruth into the lineage of Christ, his own family. And that is the story of Ruth. I've enjoyed sharing it with you. I hope you got a blessing out of it. When you come back next week, we're going we're gonna to do, here's where we're headed in the class. We're going to have some topical lessons. Uh, I'm talking to Billy about that this week, uh, trying to line up some topics. I want the topics to be focused on, uh, and I haven't got a title nailed down yet, but something about basics for believers. In other words, these topics, every Christian should be doing these topics. Uh, they should be following, the, there's no guesswork, there's no gray area. These are things that we should know, that we should do, things that should be uh, almost habits in our life. And so we're going to talk about a few of those. Then I'm thinking about doing maybe a series on the life of David, do a character study, the life of David. Uh, the more I read about this, the more excited I got about it, and I've been hearing about David and his, his mighty men of, of valor. I love those stories. It's got a lot of fighting in it. I like the fighting stories, don't y'all? We did Ruth, ladies. we got to do the, the war guys now. And, then may, and uh, Lisa had mentioned maybe the book of Esther. So that's kind of where we're headed this year. I, I'm excited about all of those. Uh, and I hope that you are too. I love you. Get out of here. We'll see you next week.